invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 16, paying particular attention to verse 11 through 16, but I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 of chapter 4 so we catch the context. The title of the message this morning is Doing Church God's Way, Doing Church God's Way. Let's give our attention to God's Word here this morning. Beginning Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, and the you there is plural, he's speaking to the church, uh, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's ask the Lord to bless His Word. God, our Father, I thank You so much for this passage. Thank You for the Spirit who inspired Paul to write it. Thank You, Lord, that that same Spirit is given to us today so that we might understand it. I pray, Lord, that we would not only understand it intellectually, but, Lord, that this would be transformative as we think about our life what it means to be a Christian, and what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would um, mold us today uh, into a pure form of, of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be the church. We would give you the thanks for it, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. My question to you this morning is, uh, what if you were doing, or what if we were doing church all wrong? As much as we've enjoyed it this morning, what if uh, an angel from heaven showed up here on the stage and suddenly said, just stop, stop, you're doing it all wrong? Uh, That would be concerning. Uh, It would even be, I think uh, you could say it would be devastating because um, in the New Testament, to do the church wrong is basically to do Christian life wrong. Uh, What if you were doing the Christian life all wrong? What if um, you were doing what you assumed to be right and true, maybe things that you learned from your parents, and uh, you thought it was going, you know, fairly well, and and yet uh, God sent an angel to you to say, you're doing it all wrong. This is not what I had in mind. 
Uh, you need to repent. You need to change. Well, I, I'm convinced that what we have here in Paul's uh, letter to the Ephesians is a reminder of what it looks like when we do it right. Um, Jesus, as Paul has already said in chapter 2, Jesus is building us, binding us together, 2.22. In Him, Jesus, you also, plural, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is about. He doesn't just save sinners. He takes those sinners and makes them living stones and places them into uh, a temple, a living temple that He's building. Remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church, right? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the question we want to ask this morning is how does he do that? How does Jesus go about building his church, building this temple for the living God? Uh, Chapter 4 begins with Paul reminding us that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and has called us to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. Live a life worthy of the gospel. That's a wonderful, incredible calling. And uh, this morning we're going to see how do we do the Christian life and, and do church together in a way that's worthy of our calling. And I believe we have here a wonderful God-given diagnostic tool to help us examine, are we doing this correctly? It's a wonderful user manual. I know um, many of us are sort of um, frown on user manuals. We kind of like to figure it out ourselves. Uh, but here we have a, a user manual that we do well to pay attention to. As God tells us pretty clearly how He intends us to do the Christian life and to do church. We're going to look first at the, the gifts that Jesus gives and then the purpose of those gifts and then the results of those gifts. And uh, there's... We're not going to be able to exhaust everything here this morning. I would encourage this uh, to you as, for further study. If you want just a, um, a reference, something to look into, Martin Lloyd-Jones has probably a dozen sermons just on this passage here. Um, yeah, probably close to a dozen. Uh, he just goes into it. So um, help yourself to that. It's wonderful reading. But this morning we're going to begin by looking at the gifts. Paul in verse 7 uh, says that grace... Gifts were given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, which according to all the treasure of heaven, blood-bought treasure, uh, Jesus is pouring out on His church out of the largest of His riches. He's pouring His riches upon us, and, and they come in the form of gifts. Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In ancient times, uh, when a military general went out and had a successful campaign, he would come back parading through the middle of the city, and behind him there would be the captives. And they would be all chained together, and he'd be showing off the captives to, as a, to, um, to celebrate his victory. And he'd, he would also uh, take the plunder that he had received, and he would give gifts to the people. Uh, that's the way it was done. And, and Paul is using that imagery to say, well, that's exactly what Christ has done. He is the great captain of our salvation. And Jesus Christ has accomplished a cosmic victory over sin and death and hell. And Jesus also parades uh, uh, His great victory as He leads captives. The only difference being, right, the captives of Jesus are not in chains. They are finally free. And the captives of Jesus are not in despair. They are singing and dancing and praising God. Those are the captives that follow in Jesus' train. 
They are even blood, they are even precious children, made children, heirs with Jesus Christ. That's you, that's me, that's the church. We're the captives, the blessed captives of Christ's victory. And Jesus gives gifts to men. And Paul's going to focus specifically on that this morning. And in verse 11, he names some of those gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. It's not an exhaustive list. We have other gift lists in the New Testament. Uh, and uh, there will be things there mentioned like the gift of leading or the gift of contributing or the gift of showing mercy. There are other gifts that God has given uh, to the church. But there's a reason that Paul has listed these specific gifts uh, because these specific gifts are vital in a, in a unique way to the spiritual health and unity of the church. Uh, just notice that Paul wants to make very clear these are gifts from Christ. The he in the Greek is emphatic. He, Jesus, has given these gifts. Spiritual gifts, you see, are not the result of natural talent or hard work. I, uh, I remember being um, strangely humbled. I was a cocky, I think would be the proper, proper word, a young man um, and uh, had graduated from seminary and was preaching for the first time at my home church in Coopersville. And uh, I'll never forget it. Um, it. It went fairly well, I thought. I was, I was quite happy with myself. And, and one of the elders, uh, an older man, uh, a, a stern, big farmer with a hand about this size, took my hand and said, very sternly, the Lord has given you a gift. And I was... I understood what he was saying. This isn't about you. It's not your talent. It's not your ability. It's your stewardship. That was a really good thing for me to hear. That's what uh, is absolutely true of, of every person that's been gifted by the Lord. Our gifts aren't our natural talents. This isn't right? Uh, the, the opportunity to use your gift is not the opportunity to show what you can do. It's not, you know, American Idol. Uh, it, it is the opportunity for you to be a blessing as Jesus intended you to be to his precious church. That's what gifts are about. That's what gifts are for. Jesus gave these men, these gifted men with the gift of apostleship and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to the church, for the church. It's not about them. It's for his bride. Uh, the list of these gifts are unique in that uh, everything that Paul mentions here is a word gift. So apostles and prophets, they are the men that by the power of the Spirit laid the foundation, the doctrinal foundation of the New Testament church. That's why we don't have apostles or prophets any longer. The foundation has been laid. And so Paul will say to Timothy, right, a pastor, teacher, he doesn't say to Timothy, lay the foundation. Paul the apostle will say, Timothy, preach the word. Timothy is to take that foundation and speak. Speak it. Take those truths and declare them to the church. Preach the word. Now, the question we want to ask this morning is, what was Christ's purpose in giving those gifts? 
How do those gifts function in the life of the church? Um, and that's an important question because it's, it's where the church often gets it wrong. I think people tend to assume that Jesus gave pastors and evangelists and teachers to the church so that they, the men with the gifts, could do the ministry of the church. But if you have your Bible open, you'll see that's, that is not the case. Why did Jesus give these gifts to the church? In verse 12, it says He did so to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The purpose, you see, was never to have the gifted guys do, do the ministry. They have their role to play, the ministry of the Word, and the congregation has its role to play, the ministry of work. The ministry of service. So, uh, the word Jesus used here, when, uh, that Paul uses here, equip, to equip the saints, it's a term that would be used in medical or, uh, or in the fishing industry. It, it's a word that means to mend, to heal, to put something back together so it's useful. So, whether you're fixing a broken leg or fixing a broken net, uh, the idea is you're, you're putting it back together and healing it so that it can carry out its function. And Paul says that the reason Jesus gave the ministry of the Word was to accomplish that. You see, Paul sees the church as a place where people who are marred and crippled by sin gather. And they gather because they've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, uh, but that's, that conversion, the regeneration that's happened doesn't mean that um, they see as clearly as they should. They don't, right? We, we don't see as clearly as we should. Our, our, our spiritual vision is still marred by unbelief, by ignorance. Uh, we, we struggle to run in the paths of righteousness and peace. It's a growing, it's a process called sanctification. But see, Jesus has given men to the church, the word gifts to the church, so that we are being healed. We're growing, we're mending, and we're beginning then to do what we were called to do. When we read what, called, what we were called to do, God has created good works, right? We've been created for good works, chapter 2, verse 10. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should do. That means there's things God's called the church to do. The ministry of the, of the Word is not just for spiritual nourishment, it's for spiritual activity, right? It, it's meant to, to equip and call God's people to do things for the glory of God. That's Jesus' vision for doing church. Pastors then, teachers, evangelists, we are assistants to the ministry, that makes sense. There was a, John Stott says that he, uh, he was going to speak at a church and they were working out the arrangements and he gets a letter uh, from the church with their letterhead and the letterhead says, um, the name of the church um, ministers, colon, the congregation. Assistant, colon, name of the pastor. That's a, that's a biblical way of thinking. Uh, that um, pastors are assistants to the ministry. And so that a a healthy church will be a church where the, the people receiving the ministry of the Word 
have an understanding that they are called to be actively engaged as the church of Jesus Christ in the cause of Jesus Christ. I read a, uh, I read a fascinating article this past week about um, a, a group of international volunteers, uh, hackers. People have the gift of um, IT, computer code, things like that. The gift of, of, of hacking. And there's an app apparently that you can download on your phone and you can participate. And people from all over the world are participating in an effort to help Ukraine by hacking Russian sites. And um, the, the, the guy here, was the, the guy that wrote the article was interviewing a man named Enrique. And Enrique says uh, he's been impressed by the the teamwork and enthusiasm of this volunteer IT army. He says, I have never seen so many people wanting to do something in my whole life. You ask for participants to crash something or run something, and you have it. Just ask. And there's a whole, and people are saying, well, I can't really, I'm not really good at hacking, but I could organize this a little better. I can make the app work better. Or um, I could just uh, work on translating messages, different languages, so we can communicate better. People are finding ways to help out. And I thought to myself, I think that's how church is supposed to work. Um, you maybe don't know this, maybe you do, uh, but uh, there are articles being written now about how desperately hard it is to find volunteers after COVID. People maybe got used to having more of a laid-back consumer attitude when it comes to church. You just turn on the TV or whatever, um, and, uh, and it's nice, and it doesn't ask much, and, and so churches are having an extremely difficult time finding volunteers. We've had some of that here as well. Well, what would have to happen at Harvest so, so that we are a church that is increasingly being a place where people are desperately wanting to do something, like Enrique says? All you have to do is ask, and, and, and there are times you don't even have to ask. People just show up and volunteer to be willing participants in the ministry. What would have to happen here for us to be that sort of mobilized, energized uh, force for the cause of Christ? Well, a couple things would have to happen. One would be, there would need to be a vision that is compelling, the story interviewed a number of, uh, of people from all walks of life, many different countries, and they all said the same thing. I was just kind of doing my thing, I was living my life, and I was just suddenly horrified to, to find out what's happening in Ukraine, what Russia is doing to those poor people, and, and I wanted to help. They were gripped by a need, burdened by um, this, this important cause, and, and we would have to be gripped with a concern like that, right? We'd have to be horrified by what the devil is doing to those who bear the image of God. We'd, we'd have to be just stunned and sickened to see uh, people throwing away their life as they believe the lies of our culture and are under the power of the evil one and be gripped with a desire to help them. We'd have to have a heart that has compassion for poor, for single mothers and, and the elderly and the sick who need to be visited and encouraged. You'd need a burden for young people who, who, who need instruction and encouragement in the things of God. You, you see, because if, if the burden is there, if the, if the passion is there, you don't have to beat the bushes to find volunteers. They're already there and willing to go to work. And so the first thing that would have to happen is that, is that we, the church, 
you sitting there in the pew, would have to be gripped by a compelling vision of the mission of Jesus Christ in West Michigan. And you sense this is something that Jesus, that matters to Christ, and therefore it should matter to us. And that then you'd be asking the Lord to find, show me some way that I can participate in that mission. It doesn't have to be flashy. Um, I think a wonderful example in Acts chapter 9, where we read about this beautiful lady called Dorcas, a simple believer who loved Jesus, obviously, with all of her heart, and was such a blessing, because what Dorcas did was um, she, she knitted tunics and garments and gave them away to people who needed them. And when she passed away, uh, people in the church were showing, Dorcas made this for me and gave this to me. There was a ministry of encouragement. That was her ministry. What we, w- we would have to have that sense, what God, and ask, Lord, what could I do? Right in my home, what could I do at work? What could I do in, in, my, in my community for the cause of Jesus Christ? That's the first thing. We'd have to be compelled by a vision. The second thing is, Pastors and elders of the church would have to free people and encourage people to innovate and begin new ministries. Churches can have sort of a top-down approach in terms of if, if it's not rubber-stamped right um, by the proper authorities and, and correctly signed off on, then don't do it. Well, I think that hinders the ministry. I, when I think about Dorcas's ministry, I doubt that the elders got together and voted on it, Right? Uh, shall Dorothy be, Dorcas be allowed to make tunics and give them away? All in favor say aye. I don't think it happened. I don't think they approved a budget. I doubt they established guidelines. I think they said, Dorcas, that's awesome. We are so thankful that you are knitting garments and, and giving them away. We just want to bless you. Would you train some other people and, and, and they could join you in that ministry? That ought to be, you see, the demeanor of the leadership of the church. I was, uh, read it a while, about maybe last year now already, um, a book by J.D. Greer called Gaining by Losing. I've enjoyed that very much. And um, he's talking about uh, his church, and he says, we once offered 10 $1,000 grants to the small groups in the church that could come up with the best community blessing ideas. As, for any other grant, as with any other grant, they submitted proposals that we judged, and then we awarded the top 10 ideas so the groups could pursue them. It was the best $10,000 we've ever spent on community ministry, launching ministry that goes on to this day. But even greater was the effect this exercise had on the psychology of our church members. It challenged them to see their community through the eyes of the Spirit and empowered them to pursue what the Spirit put into their hearts. I think it's a wonderful idea. would love an elder to bring that motion at our next meeting. <clears throat> right? To fund ministry. That people are saying, I, man, I've had this burden for a while, but I could just use, you know, I need some flyers, or I need a couple tables so I could set up the books at the fair. Whatever it might be, see? That, that's the ministry that, that uh, the, the body does as it's equipped by the, by the ministry of the Word. What will the result of that be? Well, the result, we find, will be for the building up of the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Paul has this vision of the church unified 
as they embrace the faith, unified as they share this experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ, and as they're speaking the truth and love to each other and to their community, they're being built up into maturity, a fruit-bearing body to the glory of God. Last week we talked about the importance, the essential importance of unity in the church. That if Paul had to describe uh, his ideal church, it would be a church defined by love and unity. Well, as he, as he continues on, we see here a, a really important part of that, that the unity Paul has in mind is a unity that is established by the faith. Notice, Paul doesn't say unity of faith. In other words, unity of believing, but a unity of the faith. In other words, there is this thing, this entity called the faith. And it is uh, the faith once delivered to all the saints. It's the faith of the apostolic teaching, the faith that we find here, the, the things that this word says about who God is and who we are and what the world is about and, and how people can be saved and what God is pursuing. That, that's the faith how people ought to live as as those made new by the power of Jesus Christ. So, so, So Paul wants us to understand that the unity that honors Jesus and that Jesus has created in the church is a unity formed by this. And, and as he goes on to say in verses 13 and 14, that it matters because there's always going to be men and women, but, but, but teachers who twist this. And who mislead God's people through cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's what he says. And so the the people of God are blown about by winds of doctrine. This has always been true in the church. There are always false false teachers. There are are people who uh, intentionally seek to deceive the church for their own ends. You just turn on your TV, go to any health, wealth teacher, and that's exactly what you see. Somebody's making a lot of money by deceiving a lot of people. And then there are also well-meant but just misled or ignorant people who are misleading the church. And unfortunately, there are believers who are not mature in their faith and who are blown about. Churches being tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. Paul just has, wants us to see a church that's unstable. And so a new teaching comes along, right? The emergent church comes along, and people are, and you got 14,000 people showing up. And they're loving it. And then that crashes, and then the next thing comes along. Right? you got the health wealth guy over here doing his thing, and people go, and and it's it's wonderful. The music's incredible, and and, uh, they're on board. Uh, you, you've got uh, what's happening is sort of a social justice gospel again, without disparaging the necessity for justice. But, but people who are, who, who are adopting categories that are, that are maybe new, think about the homosexual uh, identity and, and, and behavior issue going on in the church, right? So you have, you have pastors who will assure you they are well-meant. They just want to help the church be relevant. They want the church to be compassionate, and so they will teach that, that actually the Bible isn't opposed to committed homosexual relationships. 
Actually, that's something that God has created as part of the diversity in creation. And people will hear that, and because we're part of our culture, that seems plausible, it makes sense. There we go. Blown about by every wind of doctrine, and that is anathema, you see, to the unity and the mission of the church. What, what, what grieves me about these false teachings is it's, people will judge you, and I've been judged, right? You just want to be right. When I took on or just spoke about Rob Bell at, at, at Mars Hill, did a three-sermon three series on that, on the Love Wins. And, and uh, people came up to the front after I was done and had at it. Because, um, I, right, I just judgmental, just want to be right. I, I, don't, I don't, it has nothing to do with me. When you, when you take the truth of the faith away from God's sheep, they suffer they will, they will spiritually starve. They will die. I, 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 uh, I remember asking a, a lady who was, who was attending there. She'd been there a year and a half. I said, tell me, in the last year and a half, has your confidence in the Word of God increased or decreased? She said, it's decreased. That's what happens. That's why it matters. That's why Paul uh, says anathemas, you see, on anyone who preaches the gospel other than the gospel. That's been given. The faith matters. And that's also then, you see, why uh, it's, there are times to leave a body when the faith is being undermined. Last week, I had several people come to me and say, you know, the, you, you talked about unity, and, and I so appreciate that, but I left a church. Am I divisive? And my answer is, if you left a church because you were concerned that this is being undermined, the faith is not being followed. You're not the one who's been doing the dividing. The teachers divide. Paul will say that in other places. The disunity does not come by the people who are, who are raising the concern and, 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 and then leaving because the concern is, is not being addressed. The, the disunity is coming from those who are teaching something that is contrary to this. Brothers and sisters, just to wrap up on the homosexual issue, again, we should have a concern to see God glorified in the lives of people who are gripped by sin of that sort and every sort. And there is no difference. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But when you tell people that it is not a sin, you see, you're just signing them over to the devil's cause. I, it just breaks my heart. You cannot, you cannot, friends, put together... Current teaching on homosexual practice or homosexual desire or, or deed, you cannot put that together with biblical faith and obedience. Not if this is true. And so we just have to, that's what it means to be mature, you see. You, you, we just realize that this is what it says. God wrote it. We're going to submit to it. If we're wrong, we invite anyone to show us from the Scripture that we're wrong. But until that happens, this stands, the faith. This is where our unity comes from foundationally. That's the first thing. The second thing is, our unity is not just we know the right doctrines, but our unity, notice Paul says, comes from the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So that our unity is not just formed by things that we know to be true, but things that we've experienced to be true about Jesus Christ. 
that we have a unity, that we know Jesus, and we love Jesus, and we want to serve Jesus. We confess our sins to Jesus. We receive the riches that Jesus gives. We believe the promises that Jesus made. We're living for the things that Jesus has called us to live for. At least that's what we want. That's what we increasingly desire to be as a person and as a church. Isn't that true? That's an experiential knowledge. That's our unity, that experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ, where Jesus is Lord, not just as an idea, but in truth. What will be the result of that as we wrap up? Well, the result will be the building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The result will be um, that we start ministering to each other, um, speaking the truth in love to one another. There are, um, when, you, when you ask, you know, what, is, what does this look like in practice? I think Paul answers that so wonderfully in verses 15 through 16. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Friends, God has given the word ministries so that the church understands what God has said and trusts what God has done in Christ and believes what God has promised in Christ and practices what God has commanded in Christ. And then we speak that truth to each other in love. In love, not arrogantly. Where in the world would arrogance come from? We didn't write it. We received it as a gift. And in love, we speak that truth into each other. And as we speak the truth, we grow up together. And that's together. We're all growing together in the faith. We haven't arrived. And so that what Paul has, when Paul sees the church being the church, he sees this, this body of Jesus Christ with all its different parts and all the different gifts a body that's being well-fed, nourished by the Word of God, filled with the Spirit of God, and the people of God exercising their gifts, caring for each other, caring for their community, advancing the cause of Jesus Christ together. That's the vision. So what do we need to do? We need to pray that God lets us get it in ever-increasing measure. Just pray that the Lord expands our horizon of maybe what we thought it means to be a Christian and what it means to to have our whole life dedicated to Him so that we we increasingly devote every aspect of our life to Christ and to His cause. Let's ask the Lord to open our eyes to show us needs that we could minister to. You don't have to put it in the bulletin. You just, just start knitting. Write the card. Take the meal. And so many of you are already doing this. Praise the Lord. I I love all the ministry that happens that we never hear about. That's that's wonderful. That's exactly how it works. Maybe it's the next door neighbor, the, the elderly neighbor that just needs someone to care for them and talk to them. Whatever it might be, pray for the Lord to just open your eyes and to, to see that. And then, and then maybe invite your small group uh, to, to join you. Or, or maybe you prayerfully together take up some ministry. Maybe it's a once a year something. You, you, you go to the, you know, the, the uh, uh, farmer's market and you got a table with books and pamphlets and you're just going to talk to people about Jesus. Ask the Lord to show you. The needs are all over the place. The mission is right in front of us. This is 
how Jesus thinks the church should work. And so let's do church as God intended, a unified, loving, truth-speaking, ministering body of Jesus Christ. And to God be all the praise. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you that you've given gifts to your church. I thank you, Lord God, that you've given gifts of the Word to equip, to mend and heal. And Lord, that happens in counseling and discipling. That happens in evangelizing. It happens in Sunday school. It happens from the pulpit. And Father, I, I thank you that as we hear the Word, uh, you are molding us and, and mending us and, and calling us into the mission. And I thank you so much, Father, for all the, the gifts that Jesus has poured out on this church. Gifts of music and gifts of service. Gifts of, of cooking and knitting and, and writing cards and, and gifts of encouragement. Gifts of um, the ability to disciple. A father, a, a gifts of a, a burden for elderly. A, a, a desire to bless young families, young mothers with their children. A, a desire to reach out to to single folks and young people. Father, I thank you for the, 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 the gifts of just ministering in the community. Uh, for those who, who preach on street corners and, and speak at the abortion clinic or pray there, and, and for those who are engaged at work, maybe starting a Bible study, or those who are, uh, Lord, uh, at home raising godly children for the kingdom of Christ. Father, I, I just pray your blessing on your, on your people as we understand that our life is part, of, is part of the cause, part of the mission, and that we take that up with joy and with prayer, and that we see you bless it, that we are not ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of God, but are being built up as a body to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together and uh, sing, O Church, Arise.
said now the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace amen